This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we're taking a look at the times when nature gets a little too close for comfort. So we welcome the critter catcher, Mike McDowell, here to the program to talk about management and removal of nuisance animals. From the big to the small, a nuisance critter can cause real problems. So today we're going to talk about tips to keep your home critter-free. Dr. Major's here, ready for your pet questions. To join our conversation, call us. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that Creature Comforts airs twice each week, Thursday mornings at 9, with a repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, what events do you have to share with Let's us? Let's see. Down on the Gulf Coast, um, the Coast Audubon Group has a birding trip this coming Saturday. That's uh, February the 15th, 7.30, meeting at Hiller Park on Biloxi Back Bay. Looking for resident for um, winter residents and anything unusual uh, so they can maybe take you to some new birding spots along that, that stretch of the beach. And then um, next Saturday, on February the 22nd, there is a planned trip to the Sand Hill Crane Refuge, but there is a wait list for that one. It's a really popular field trip, and it's a great trip. But um, you need to get online and go to Mississippi Coast, MSCoastAudubon.org, and put your name on a wait list if you want to try to do that one, or maybe catch it another time. But uh, then the other end of the state, Strawberry Plains Audubon, has got, let's see, Great Backyard Bird Count. Mm-hmm. This, uh, oh, it's on, it's on Friday. Friday the the 14th, that's Valentine's Day. That it's, might be uh, a good way to spend on. Valentine's <laughs> Day. Yeah, so do the Great uh, Backyard Bird Count with them. And then next Saturday on February the 22nd, it's a night field trip to look for woodcocks. And that's uh, very interesting. And you can go on... Um, Strawberry Plains Audubon Center's website to get the details on both of those. So. All right. Uh, so we're going to be talking today about uh, controlling critters, nuisance animals, with our guest, the critter catcher, Mike McDowell. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring You get in touch with us by calling one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Why don't we go ahead and jump into the phone lines early? Uh, Benton has called in this morning uh, from Patterson. Good morning, Benton. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. How you doing? It's, it's Vincent, V-I-N-C-E-N-T. Sorry about Good that. Morning. Good morning. Uh, my question is how to rid of skunks. I have quite a few of them that travels through my yard, and 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 they smell very bad. <laughs> 
You know, skunks are, are, are great creatures. They they do amazing things. Uh, people typically they get a bad rap because of, uh, of course, they spray, but but they're actually really cool creatures. They really eat a lot of insects. They're they're really good micers. There's not something you know if, if it's an issue that they're spraying or causing a lot of problems. Absolutely, you want to try to get them away from those areas. But usually, they're looking for this time of the year uh, denning areas. Uh, maybe if you under they can get under a slab or a trailer or or uh, maybe a conventional foundation. They love to find those areas this time of the year to uh, to get ready to have their little ones. Um, if it's an area that's just typically known for breeding, you're not going to be able to do much about it. They're just going to be in that area this time of the year until it finishes, and then they kind of dissipate and go back to their areas. Um, I would look for food. Uh, is there is there a good food source there that they're coming to? Uh, and that could be as much as trash as just uh, anything else that they're trying to eat in that area. Um, maybe that's an area that's just a good cover. There's just a lot of good cover there. Uh, until we get there and look at it, it's really hard to tell you what it, what it is, what the reason is why they're there. Uh, different parts of of the state are, just have been uh, just a source of a large populations of of animals. Uh, uh, I can tell you just about from my experience over the last thirty years, just the areas around the state that that just have a lot of skunks, and there's nothing you can really do about it. They're just there. Um, but you know, until you figure out why they're there, is it is it habitat? Is it food? Is it somewhere that they want to live? Um, try to find out those reasons, and if you can, uh, find a way to to stop that from from occurring, so that you can kind of move them to another area. All right. Uh, thanks, sir. All righty. Thanks Mike, for the phone call. Mike, you know, an interesting thing is you can just about tell when breeding season is because you rarely see a skunk Absolutely. Run, run over in the road. Absolutely. And when you start seeing roadkill, you know that they're out moving around. Yes, sir. So is the spraying, is that a defense mechanism? Is, so it's if, if you don't bother them, are they not going to spray you? They use it for a lot of different things. I think uh, the little ones will start doing it um, just because they like it. They don't know what it is. Uh, sometimes a female and the male during breeding season get in a fight, and they, she doesn't want to breed, and so she'll spray. You have two males get in a fight, and they want to spray because they're fighting. So it's just so many things. It's, there's other things that can happen other than them being scared. Man. All right. But it is it is used to, what if a predator, if a coyote's Absolutely. coming on Absolutely. one. Absolutely, yeah, or a dog or anything yeah. else, yeah. And it uh, certainly is effective against humans, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I can't think of anybody that really likes the smell of a skunk. Uh, so, Dr. Major, we're going to be talking about these uh, nuisance animals and critters. Uh, is there any concern for our pets uh, when interacting with uh, with some of the critters that we might find in and around Mississippi? Absolutely. And, of course, Mike can attest to that as well. Uh, we have, you know, Mississippi has been blessed in the fact that uh, very little rabies reported over the years. However, other states... Uh, skunks, uh, even coyotes, uh, other other uh, wild animals have that. It's still, it's very important to have your animals vaccinated for rabies. Uh, I think there was a case in Florida, uh, Mike, I'm sure you probably saw yeah. this, where a lady had an otter that was uh, had attacked her dog, or the dog attacked the otter, and found out that the otter was pretty pretty bad. They wound the fight wound up in the house uh, somehow. And Otter bit uh, her, her daughter, and the dog before it escaped. But point being, yes, it, there are all kinds of things that can happen uh, with our uh, native wild animals. Uh, raccoons, uh, I think, are a big thing. They, they like to plunder. And uh, certainly when you hear your dog outside that's barking around uh, anywhere from midnight to uh, dawn, uh, there may be a, a wild animal there. Absolutely. 
So again, our guest today is Mike McDowell, the Critter Catcher. Mike, we appreciate you. We had you on the show once before, so glad to have you back with us. If you would tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in in the career that you're pursuing. <laughs> uh, that's a great story. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the country uh, around farms and, and uh, had family that had farms. And uh, we had to deal with wild animals all year long. I mean, it was just something you had to do. It wasn't a business. It wasn't get, we didn't get paid for it. <laughs> we just had to deal with it. And uh, uh, and I had I had uh, relatives, you know, a lot of uncles, family members that did it, you know. So I kind of picked it up from them and, and just enjoyed dealing with the animals, always have. Uh, trying to do things, trying to help the animals, uh, get them back into an area and keep them away from getting hurt. Um, and just studying them, really getting, you know, really learning a lot about those animals. And over the years, that passion grew into eventually a company. And uh, like anything, I did it slow. Uh, I just did it for friends and family, uh, helped help out um, in different ways. And then eventually just got to be to the point where uh, I just got too many calls. <laughs> and I said, all right, I got to do this now. So, uh, and I opened up a business and, and that was you know, I've been doing this off and on for probably over 30 years. Um, so it's it's been a while. Uh, enjoy it. Do a lot of public speaking uh, on it. Uh, try to educate people. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as nuisance wildlife people is is educate the public when we catch something. Not just go catch the animal and remove it, which is what we, we're getting paid to do, but, but spend a little time uh, telling them why the animals are there, what they can do to stop that from happening again, if there's a way to do it. Um, education is the key, not only to keep the animals healthy and alive, but also to keep them from getting in those bad places we don't want them. So uh, we're a statewide network, so we, you know we're, our, our broadcast goes to most parts of Mississippi. What, what's your range for where you would be able to help folks uh, catch their critters? Sure, we cover the state. We do cover the state. Uh, we were, of course, we're in the metro area, so we do a lot of work in the metro area. But we cover the state. We get calls to go out of state. We have a lot of customers and companies that we've done business with for years that live in other states, and we get called and sometimes go help them in those areas too. So we're going to be talking about nuisance animals, and so you know my neighbor's dog uh, barks a lot. So do, do, can I call that a nuisance animal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No, <laughs> that's pretty much you got to have to work out with your neighbor. Exactly. Then I guess. <laughs> All right, why don't we go ahead? We'll take our first break. Uh, we will return with more conversation with our guest today, the critter catcher Mike McDowell. We're talking about getting rid of nuisance animals or controlling them around your house. Also, Doctor Major's here, ready for your pet questions, and we always like to hear your encounters with wildlife if you have one that you'd like to share. Uh, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. During the break, can you name animals listed by the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks as nuisance animals? We'll discuss that list after the break, so stay tuned. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest for today is Mike McDowell, also known as the Critter Catcher. If you want to join the conversation with a question or a comment, our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 
672-7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. All phone lines are open, so if you do want to call in, go ahead and we'll get you right on the air. Before the break, we mentioned that there are animals that have been designated as nuisance animals, according to the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, Mike, before we jump into that list, is what does that designation mean in terms of when uh, MDWFP de- de- says something is a nuisance animal? Well, typically it means that animal is usually overpopulated uh, a lot of times. Uh, sometimes it means that there just isn't a predator that actually helps keep those numbers down. They 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 they're not predated on, so therefore they can uh, you know live and breed and and have bigger groups of animals uh, typically. So the uh, the ones that are on that list typically are that way. They're they're just hard to control. Um, they're not hunted. They're not typically game animals. So there's no real way to keep the numbers down in our state because of just the the all the food that we have here. It doesn't take long for those animals to get in high numbers, and then eventually once they over multiply, then in those areas and that they've taken up all the food in that area, then they start predating on things we really don't want them. To get on or even if you know if with a beaver it'd be a tree you know the timber timber is, is king in this state you know and so we've got a lot of timber and beavers you know that's what they do they eat they eat timber so if you've got beavers there's nothing you can do i can't relocate a beaver from over here to over here because he's just going to do the same exact thing so we have a problem so again same issues you know numbers you know we can't get them into an area that they're going to do well or help us with something so they get on the nuisance list so, so is there an official list, or is it sort of just most people accept that these are nuisance animals? There's a list, and, and, and they've been approved by Wildlife and Fisheries, so um, that's the ones that we go by. And right now, I think there's six, like you said, so uh, that number, that list can change, I guess, but right now it's six. All right, so you mentioned the beaver, and again, the, the issue there being that they eat wood, and so, uh, as you mentioned, you know, timber, an important part uh, of our state's economy, so that's an obvious one on that one. Um, and you said that sort of difficult to control. Uh, uh, as well because like you say you can't move them over there because they'll just probably come right back to where they found that source of of food or whatever they're looking for right Uh, what about the coyote same thing you know they're just uh, they're just great hunters great predators they predate on everything you know if you get a good a large group of coyotes in an area they're just going to be you know they're going to take out everything they 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 don't discount anything and that goes not only just for squirrels and small game things like that but they get into dogs and cats and we see that now more than ever Uh, we seem to get more and more reports of things disappearing we find out it's it's something like a coyote or, or another type of predator all right, and as we go through the list, uh, maybe give us an idea. Beavers and coyotes found probably much throughout the state? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. they're all over the place. Um, uh, another issue that we have with the beavers right now is that they're, they've been in certain areas. There's People aren't trapping like they used to. We used to have to do a lot of fur trapping in the state. We, we had a lot of fur trappers. Uh, uh, now we don't hardly, we don't have that many anymore. So these animals, beavers especially, are getting in high numbers now. What that means is they're getting into our river and creek systems, and they're damming these systems up. And a beaver doesn't stop building a dam. He'll keep maybe a foot this year, maybe two foot next year, but he'll keep building that to a point where it gets high enough where it can hold some serious water. And if those things ever break, you know, then we have issues. We've had issues around the state where because of that, those those dams have caused water to back up and flood roads and highways. <laughs> we see this now a lot, especially since we've had the amount of rain we've had over the last two or three years is incredible, and we're seeing more and more of that. So it's not just eating the trees. It's the damage that they can cause by, by backing water up into subdivisions, onto roads, et cetera. 
We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Mike McDowell, the critter catcher. If you have a question about a nuisance animal or a way to get rid of some of the things that might be plaguing you and your uh, neighborhood, uh, you can give us a call. Dr. Major's here if you want to ask a pet question. And again, if you have a wildlife encounter you'd like to share with us, we always like to hear those as well. Open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Okay, number three on the list is the fox. And again, maybe that's a, a similar sort of thing that, um, what what do they do? Yeah, we have red and gray fox in the state and uh, same thing. Yeah, they're just, uh, they're great predators. Um, I consider a fox probably one of the best because they're the best part of a cat and the best part of a dog. They just, <laughs> they're just, they're just an awesome animal. But again, and primarily small game. Uh, red foxes pr- pretty much stay in the open areas. You, it's not odd to see them around subdivisions. They like those kind of areas. Grays are not that way. They like to be in thickets, thick areas, usually not around people. Very rarely to see a gray fox um, in the area. But again, same issue. They're just, they populate not a lot of predators. The only predator that they really have is the coyote. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and that's only because of territorial issues. But uh, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things where they just, they, they, they're at an all-time high and they're just really good at what they do. You know, I think some people, when they're listening, might think to themselves, oh, well, you know, I live in a suburb, I live near a city or whatever, so I, I won't be worried about these things. But I guess as they become more and more populated, they begin to encroach on areas where they might not have been before. That's correct. We, fox especially. The red fox have been becoming a big issue in the Jackson metro area, especially in the suburbial areas, because uh, they're, they're catching cats. When that mama has those those kits, uh, she's she's gonna find whatever food she can find. And typically later in the spring, early towards early summer, there's not a lot of food. They've eaten all the small game that they can find, and so then they start predating on the easy things. And I'm gonna tell you what, nothing's easier for a, for a fox to catch than a overweight cat that can't <laughs> run. Um, and so usually we get a call because someone sees the fox attack the cat or something, and they call me and want me to come out there and try to you know if the cat was in better shape, probably would have feared better. But anyway, all right, another reason. Uh, to keep your cat on a good diet there. Don't let him get a little too chubby. Exactly. Let him keep his catness going. Uh, the next one on the list is one that I kind of m- more associate with uh, Louisiana, and that's uh, the Nutria. So first, remind us exactly what a Nutria is and, and talk a little bit about why they're on this list. Sure, sure. Um, Nutria have, have come into the state uh, quite some time ago. They're at an all-time high. We catch these things all year long. It doesn't matter whether it's a suburban uh, lake or a pond or if it's a, a large body of water. They breed uh, very quickly. I think they can have up to four litters a year. Uh, they'll have at least four every litter. Um, once they get started, um, they're they're cool animals. They look like a big rat, and people are often scared of them. And they can get pretty big. They can be as long as a beaver, just about the big males. Um, they're herbivores. They eat grass and roots. They really don't hurt anything from that standpoint. They're just really good at digging, and they tunnel really well. So most of the times when we get calls, they've actually tunneled from a, a bank area up underneath a house or a deck, or and, and they can and they'll keep going. The tunnels will get long and huge. And we've actually had to uh, dig up. A, tunnels and relay them because they just and repour them because they they've torn up so much ground but again if you walk out in front of them they really are just they'll usually just sit out there within 10 or 15 feet of you they're not aggressive at all usually they're kind of cool little critters but again the damage that they can do with basically the, the tunneling is the issue we've seen a lot of foundations falling in so we don't we don't really want them around properties that have houses because they're going to dig that's all they do they don't dig a hut a, a hutch like a, a beaver or anything they just go underground and they just continue to dig and dig and dig until you start seeing the ground fall in if you want to go around the res- Reservoir, um, anywhere around uh, really the metro area, they're everywhere. I mean, I've caught them as far as, you know, out towards the Raymond area, 
where there's not even creeks running through those areas, and they're they're just they've just spread, you know, uh, statewide. Yeah, you know, and a reason another reason it sounds like some of these creatures are on on this list is they're they're quite good at what they do. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, very good. All right, uh, let's uh, we'll continue. We've got a couple more on the list to get to, but we do have uh, Linda on the line from Starkville. Good morning, Linda. You're on the air with us, so go ahead, please. Um, thank you. Uh, my question is, uh, I've been trapping quite a few skunks, and so my question is, how far do I need to take them away from my property to make sure they don't come back? Well, the first thing, Linda, you need to th- think about is, number one, you need to have permission to drop any of those wild animals off, because if you're dropping them off to an area that they, you don't have permission, then that's 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 uh, that's illegal, so you don't want to do that. Um, being that they're on the nuisance wildlife list, typically you you have the authority, the right to put them down. Not that you want to do that, and I know it's a horrible thing, but they're at an all-time high. You're just moving the problem to another area, and somebody else is going to have to deal with it. So that's something you need to think about. Um, uh, if you don't want to deal with that, maybe there's a local vet or there's a no- local area that can actually help you with putting them down. Um, uh, but you really don't want to move skunks. It's not going to make it any better. They're just going to move them to another area. They're going to overpopulate and cause a bigger hassle down the road. And does that include wildlife preserves? You have to have permission to drop them anywhere, wherever. It doesn't matter okay. where it is. And you need to, if you want to go to a preserve, you need to talk with a local game warden um, and find out if that's okay for you to do that. And, of course, if you get permission to do it, then that's, that's, that's up to you. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. All right, Linda, thanks for your call. And we're going to talk about it, I think, after our next break. But part of the way uh, that what people can do is make sure that their their area, their house or whatever, is not a, overly attractive to some of these uh, creatures that are looking for food and shelter and that sort of thing. And as I said, we'll, we'll dig more into that uh, after this next break. A couple more items. We've talked about the, the next one on the list is the skunk. Uh, so um, other than the smell, what sort of kind of damage might a, a skunk do to a, a, a house or a neighborhood or whatever? You know, um, if the animal is diseased, that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's going to happen, but that's an issue. They love to dig. They, their dens are in the ground. Uh, we just finished a, a job over in uh, in uh, Madison area where skunks were tunneling, had tunneled underneath the foundation of a house, which it's, it's unbelievable this would happen, but they had tunneled underneath the foundation of a house and they had put in a tub. And when they put the tub in, they actually broke down into the foundation to run the pipes up. And somehow the skunk found it, and the skunk got up underneath the tub, and it sprayed, and it was stinking the whole house. Oh, up. And we, they couldn't figure out why it was there. was Because it's a tub. It's a foundation. There should be no reason for anything to get in that area. <laughs> but the skunk, t- I mean, went down three feet, turned, and came up underneath. It was amazing. It's just, But they do crazy things like that. So they not only was a foundation issue of the foundation starting to fall because that corner was all dug out, but they were in the house spraying. So, so there's... There's crazy things that can happen with skunks. Uh, uh, they're not bad animals. Let me make that uh, perfectly clear. I love skunks, and we I've raised, I've had to raise several young baby skunks in my past. Um, they're not bad critters. Yeah, there are some rules that you have to be careful with. Um, one is they don't see very well. They're kind of nearsightedness, uh, and they don't like loud noises. So if we were sitting right here right now and a skunk happened to walk into this room right now, as long as you keep your voice down very low and you don't make any sudden movements, they really don't care about you. They really don't. It's not It's not like you really have to do something special to get them to spray. But what's the first thing people do when they see a skunk? They scream and they throw their hands in the air and boom, they get hit. So don't do that. All right. So try to be calm if you encounter some of these uh, critters. Uh, and the last one on our list is, again, one that I've heard a lot about being a real, real problem, uh, and that is wild hogs. I guess is that a more kind of maybe a, a more recent addition to the list? 
Yeah, hogs have been a problem for a while, um, and, and that goes for people. That goes for hogs that are typically feral hogs that have come into the state, as well as domestic hogs that have just been turned loose and turned feral. I mean, we see a lot of those. Uh, I would say that probably more than anything. We get in the areas that are uh, high densities of hogs, and they're they're just hogs that were let go or that got out, and they just multiplied. So we see those, and the damage that hogs cause is incredible. Not only to you know our farmers that have crops out there, but we've seen a, a lot of damage just to you know people that have local gardens or just pro- regular property. They're just trying to keep their property managed, and these hogs come in and just destroy it. Just in one night, the damage that what a, hog, a group of hogs can do is incredible. And and their size is quite large, too, I think, isn't it? Yeah, they can get very large. You don't see usually, I mean, average on average, maybe one or 200-pound hog and a bunch of a, a sow with a bunch of little ones is typically what you see. You don't usually see these giant ones that we always see on the Internet or our TV. They are out there. They exist, but they you just typically it's a small group. They're, they're you know, the breeding issue is, is that they can just have so many each litter. That's their problem. They're hard to control. And even it, some of these properties that we're on, and, and, and I know people that deal with these all the time, they will tell you that it's just an everyday day all day thing you just can't let up on them it's just some of these areas are so you get rid of what's in your area and then a month later you've got another problem again um and so i would imagine that uh, mw uh, mdwfp occasionally kind of reviews this list and based on what the populations are and that sort of thing is how something maybe might be added to the list or, or maybe hopefully possibly uh taken off of the list Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, anything that you would like to see added to the list that you think is a nuisance animal that's, that we haven't talked about here yet? <laughs> most, of the, most of the animals that we deal with uh, uh, right now in the suburban, uh, suburban areas, uh, the squirrels have gotten to an all-time high. Gray squirrels, right? And I know they, they opened up the season. They lengthened it to try to help with that. Um, but that that's becoming a huge problem. We're, we're in so many houses across the state. Um, where you walk into some of these subdivisions and you used to see one or two squirrels and they're eating at the bird feeder and it's all nice and aesthetic. And now you see 50 and 60 in this one area. And then they, all the houses are chewed up. And, you know, I, you know, I know I have a lot of clients in, in some of these areas that, that, that are like they want the cities to do something about this. They're like they're, they're tearing their houses up. And I can come out there and catch the one in the house and fix it up, but then the next one comes and the next one comes, and and uh, and it's getting to be a real problem in the city. Absolutely. So uh, you can help out, but also would, uh, especially with these animals that are on the official list, could uh, the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, if you're having a beaver, a fox uh, problem, can they come out and and try to help? Typically, uh, what they will do is if you call them is they are, they have a list of nuisance wildlife trappers, and then they will tell you the last year address, and then they'll forward you two or three uh, licensed uh, uh, nuisance trappers to come out and, and help that. I don't think the majority of the state and federal wildlife guys really have time. Their, their time is very precious in what they have to do, so they usually let us handle those things. Okay. Uh, we need to take another break. We, uh, If you need some help with nuisance animals or species near your home, you can join the conversation with our guest, the critter catcher, Mike McDowell. The number to call if you'd like to join our conversation is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Dr. Major's here, ready for your pet questions as well. We'll come back from the break. We'll share some tips for keeping these unwanted animals away from your home. So stay tuned. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with 
Libby Hardfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today for the hour is Mike McDowell, the critter catcher. If you want to join the conversation, we've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. During the break, we were talking about uh, an animal that I think uh, Dr. Major and Libby both said they, they might like to see on the list, and, and that is deer. So, uh, Mike, tell us about, again, populations kind of getting out of control. We've always had a large deer herd. You know, everybody, we're, we've gotten to the point where the deer herd's so high that we're all worried about, you know, disease setting. And usually when we get overpopulation in anything, we seem to see the half. But now I, I don't know that we're, we're going to see that anytime soon. But, you know, we, I know that, you know, I travel the state and the number of accidents that these deers call, the deer cause is much, plus just the, the wear and tear that they do and just eating, you know, around the subdivisions and some of the areas that I live in, they come in during the, the harder times of the year and just wear out every ornamental bush and plant that they can find. And, you know, when you spend money and time to, to do all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, it kind of gets frustrating. Uh, you want to help the wildlife habitats, absolutely. But I mean, when they start tearing up your house, it's not very fun. <laughs> So I think we, we all maybe think that a lot of wild animals have sort of a natural fear of humans, but I guess when populations get larger and, and all animals need, you know, food and a, and shelter, does that need sort of oversee their kind of natural fear, and that's why maybe they're they're crowding a little closer to us? Sure. When they when they have a need for something, they're going to try to get to it. I mean, they don't care what the danger is if, they get, if they're wanting it, you know. But a lot of the problem starts because we've got people that feed these animals, and they start associating food with the person, and then they don't know you from the other person, and so they, they don't mind coming up closer to you, and you see that a lot, you know. We see that a lot with raccoons in the cities. We have a lot of people that feed raccoons, and, and, and I usually, it doesn't take long before I get a call because now the, and I tell people this all the time, and they don't, they don't, they don't realize that maybe they're feeding the raccoon, and then the female has babies, and they think it's so cool because they get to watch the babies. And the raccoon doesn't stay at their house, but they go to the neighbor's house and they get up in their attic and destroy it. You know, so they they get upset because why should you catch this precious little animal and the little babies? Well, they don't understand that that animal has tore into that house and destroyed their attic. You know, so we get into that a lot too. Yeah, and I would also think if you know if you live in a neighborhood, you're, you're, you have your house there, but you need to be mindful that you share that area with some other people who might not want to have raccoons uh, breeding in their part of of, of their neck of the woods. Uh, We've got a couple calls on the line, but I did want to at least dive into a couple of these tips that we talked about or will talk about, about kind of keeping the critters away from your home, because you say that's really the best way uh, to control these things is to do things so that they, your house, your area is not attractive to them. And the first one is uh, secure your garbage. So uh, give us some tips and some ideas about how to, how you do that. You know, the first thing is go walk around your house and make sure that there's no areas for these animals to get in the house. Um, you know, make sure they can't they can't dig or get under. We have a lot of houses that are conventional that, you know, they may have a grate missing that they can get under the house. Uh, maybe there's a door that's open that they can you can close that door. You know, watch the corners of your houses, the eaves, things like that. Make sure there's no holes for squirrels and rats and things like that to get into. Just make sure that your house is airtight as it can be, which you need to do anyway. If you can do that, that'll really help a lot. Next thing would be food. You know, make sure that your trash is in a container that they can't turn over. Um, the number one thing that I think that we see uh, a cost for wild animals to come in is bird feeders. We mm. all love to watch the birds. Absolutely. I have no questions about that. But the issue is that the bird feed, it feeds everything. Mice, rats, raccoons, deer, everything eats bird seed. And so if you've got bird seed out there, maybe you don't see them during the day. Maybe you just see the pretty birds during the day. But at nighttime, everything else is eating that. And so that's protein. That's that's food. That's, you know, that creates a healthy female. 
female, she has big litters, boom, you've got more and more animals. Specifically in the Jackson area that we start, we have, we have a, a huge problem with rats right now. It's everywhere. Jackson, Clinton, Madison, Brandt, it doesn't matter. I'm in all these cities, and the rat populations are at an all-time high. Um, and normally, when I get to these houses, the one thing that I see, a big old thing of bird seed sitting out there hanging off a tree. And, uh, and so I know that's the cause for it, and tell people, you know, that's something that you just got to be careful with. And uh, some tips on the garbage cans. You want to make sure you've got a lid that fits tight, uh, maybe even uh, you know hold a rock or a weight on top of the can to secure it. But one of the other things that it's here on the copy that I thought was interesting is you want to make sure you clean out your garbage cans every once in a while so that they don't smell like garbage that's attracting the critters to come, come get them. Absolutely. All right. Got some phone calls to get to. We'll start first with our friend Bill in Greenwood. Good morning, Bill. You're on the air with us. Yeah, how y'all doing? Uh, I'm gonna have the cat that uh, doesn't have a tail, and uh, I didn't think she liked males for the longest time, but evidently, I guess with the uh, winter months or something, she went in the heat, and uh, I must have seen about twenty males come here, and she ran off with them, and uh, I've only seen her come back just for a moment to take about one bite, or most of the time she don't even want to eat anything. And uh, I hadn't seen her now for about a week or two, so I was just wondering, uh, uh, you know, when a cat gets together with all those kind of males, can there be any kind of health problems? Can you know they they can they can they possibly kill her or, or what? You know, not the major. Sure, uh, that's a lot of cats, a lot of male cats, but yeah. Uh, what I would say is this. Yes, unvaccinated uh, cats can have any number of diseases, everything from rhinotracheitis, uh, which is a herpes virus. Uh, they can have distemper, feline distemper. Uh, they can have uh, leukemia, and they can have uh, what's called FIV, feline. Basically, a lot of people would say feline AIDS. So, yes, they can have a lot of uh, diseases, everything from that to parasites, uh, fleas, uh, intestinal parasites, and this sort of thing. So that's, that's always a possibility. You probably will see her, though, if she run off with them, you probably will see her pregnant uh, before too long. Uh, I would suggest that you kind of watch for her. And, uh, you know, the feral cat or the stray cat problem uh, can be can get out of hand as well, and uh, we need to be aware that uh, a lot of if you're going to feed feral cats, cats like that, you need to have them spayed and neutered, so they and have them vaccinated, so they won't even have to trap them, so they won't spread disease and re- overpopulate. All right, uh, Bill, thanks for the call. By the way, just a disclaimer, uh, I'm tame. I, I'm not wild, and feral and feral are, are spelled differently, so I just wanted to, just wanted to point that out. You might be confused. <laughs> uh, Chris is on the line from Lafayette County next. Good morning, Chris. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Um, you may have answered this question. It's about beavers. The property next to our property has... A beaver issue, it backs up water all onto our property. The water is so high it's covered a bridge. What, what do we do? Uh, you, probably the, you probably just need to catch the beaver uh, or beavers. Last, this time of the year, the male and females have already uh, paired up for breeding. 
uh, beavers are one of the a few animals where the male will will stay with the female for life. As long as he can defend the female, they'll stay. So he probably has a female, and they're working to keep that that water line as high as they can. So it's not going to get any better until the beavers are removed. So uh, who's is it? Our neighbor's responsibility, or how how do we make that happen? Who owns the lake? Are uh, the waters being backed up on the land next to ours? But it's backing up onto ours. Well, who who owns the lake? Who owns the the, the property? Is that a, is there the a property? Our neighbor. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so that, well, that know. has the beaver. Yeah, I mean, it's that's something that I would just go over and and speak with the neighbor and say, hey, we got a problem, you know, and figure out a way for you for you to handle it. I don't. As far as who's you know responsible, it's that's kind of a, a neighborhood thing. You'd have to decide who who you know basically if his if his lake is causing an issue, then you know I would start with him and just see if if he'd be willing to to settle the problem and and get it fixed for you. Right. What what happens to the beaver? I mean, do they exterminate them? Or yeah, they, we, yeah, they can't be relocated. They're on the nuisance list for wildlife and fisheries, so we, we they have oh, to be put oh. down. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris. Also, you know, something like that. You know, whose responsibility it is if 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 your neighbor's not willing to, and you want to get rid of the problem, you might have to handle that yourself. Uh, but uh, you would hope that again, neighbors could work together uh, to solve that problem jointly. Uh, Jim's on the line from Braxton. He's our next caller. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, I got a problem with this nuisance list, wildlife nuisance list. Uh, but one thing I read a lot about was the problem with the, the uh, feral cats. Uh, and according to the Audubon Society, they they have uh, are responsible for the big decline in birds across the nation. I guess you've read a lot about that. That's part of the, the problem. So I think the, the feral cat should be on that. If there is, a, I don't agree with a nuisance list, but uh, that's my comment. All right, uh, Jim, thanks for the call. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Is I mean, I guess because a lot of pet owners let their cats go outside, it, I mean, just looking at them, it, it would be hard to tell, is this a feral cat that doesn't have a home and is wandering around, or is this you know, a cat that's, that's out in the neighborhood that is going to come back to their house? Yeah, that's that's it's it's a tough thing. You know, anytime you're dealing with dogs and cats, you know everybody that's that's a sore subject with everybody. But you know, uh, uh, you know, all you can do is you know if it's if if the cat is as Doctor Major said, if if the cat is left unattended and and not see getting you know regular visits to the vet, it's going to cause a problem. Especially if it's a female that's not been you know fixed that they can have a litter. You're just going to have a bigger problem down the road. So there's there's not really a great answer for that. All right, let's move on. Next, it's uh, Kenneth from Grenada. Good morning, Kenneth. Go ahead, please. Good morning, guys. Morning. Morning. Listen, I'm wondering if maybe you can tell me what type of animal would be eating the bark from around uh, my gum trees. Um, it doesn't attack the oak trees, just gum trees. It'll go all the way around, maybe three and a half, four feet high. And I'll just hang up and listen. Thanks. Thanks, Kenneth. Mike, any ideas? Oh, it definitely sounds like a beaver. You know, beaver uh, are primarily our, our, our animal in this state. For, for chewing bark. So I would probably imagine if it's being eaten, it's probably a beaver. Absolutely. And they're not very discriminating about what kind of uh, 
you know, beavers are really cool. I'll, I will get on some properties and all they'll eat is gum because gum is very soft wood. I'll get on some properties and all they'll eat is pine trees. And sometimes all they'll eat is oak trees. You just never know. Typically, the harder oak trees are just trying to basically keep their teeth sharp. They have to knock those teeth back. They don't stop growing. <laughs> so they hit those oak trees pretty hard. Um, but uh, they love the softwood, potentially the willows, the gums. Um, things of that nature. But they once they get a taste of a wood, uh, privet is a big one, our wild privet that we have here. Uh, but once they get a taste for that wood, they'll they'll seek it out. And, and that's the problem they will catch them is going to those food sources. All right. Let's get one more call before our next break. And it's Eric in Biloxi. Good morning, Eric. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Can you hear me? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, one comment. Uh, first is you were talking about cleaning your garbage cans. Uh, I use a 100-gallon plastic bags that I line my garbage can with. And when they get dirty, I just pull them out and replace them. So I don't have any issues with my can getting getting dirty. That's a good thought. Uh, it's a good idea. That way, as you say, you're right. You tra- you're trapping the uh, the odors uh, there in the uh, the liner as opposed to the can itself, and that keeps your cans in better shape, and you can use them longer without worrying about them uh, picking up that, that smell that might attract some critters. All right, let's take our final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up. We've been visiting throughout this hour with our guest, Mike McDowell, the Critter Catcher. Still time for you to work in a phone call if you'd like. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll wrap up the show after this break, so stay tuned. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. We're back to wrap things up on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Mike McDowell, the Critter Catcher. Still a little bit of time. If you'd like to call in with a question or comment, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 877 672-7464. Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. If you ever missed today's show or previous show, one way that you can uh, find it and listen back again is subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app or download the MPB public media app for your smartphone, and then you have access to all the shows on MPB Think Radio on your schedule. So, Mike, earlier you mentioned that one of the biggest uh, offenders that people might have in their yards is a bird feeder. Mm. Are there any tips or things that you could give folks so that they might still kind of enjoy the bird feeder but do some things that might maybe somewhat cut down on the attraction that these other critters have to it? Sure, sure. I'll tell you one thing that I do. And I need it. it's a pain, but it works. Uh, what I'll do is take my bird feeders out in the morning, and then what I'll, I'll have a tarp. I have a tarp that I put out. It's probably a 10 by 10 tarp, 8 by 10, something like that. And I'll put that underneath my bird feeder. And so the birds come, and they scatter the bird seed. It's going to hit the ground, whatever. And at the end of the day, I just basically roll that back up 
you know, pour it back in my bird feeder basically and put it back up. Then every night I don't have an issue with, with anything coming out there. There's nothing on the ground for the rats or the mice to eat. Only the birds get it. Now my squirrels will still attack it during the day as much as I try to keep them off of it. It will, but uh, um, that's one way. And it is a pain, but it's how I keep. I'm more worried about rodents than anything. That's just a big, a big rodent uh, attractant. So uh, that's what I'll do. I've seen people put garbage cans underneath the bird feeders. I've seen all kinds of crazy things people have done uh, because they know that's an issue. Okay. Uh, and during the break, uh, Libby mentioned that um, you know a lot of people are afraid of snakes, but snakes are kind of a natural controller for some of these pests that we've been talking about. Absolutely. You know, snakes are great things. I mean, we don't really want to see a venomous snake in an area around, especially around somebody's house, around kids or things like that. Absolutely. But there are a lot of non-venomous snakes in the state that do great jobs for us. The king snakes, the rat snakes, uh, various other smaller snakes, the ribbon snakes, garter snakes, et cetera, et cetera. We've got a bunch. But uh, um, know your snakes. You know, if you don't like snakes, fine. Then leave them alone. But, you know, if it's something venomous and you need it gone, then you have somebody remove it. But, you know, these, these other snakes really do a great job keeping our rodent population down. Yes, they will eat other things, too. But yes, they they are they are focused usually on the rodents, uh, lizards, things of that nature. But sometimes squirrels, absolutely. But uh, a lot of times, I'll get snakes, and people will want me to take them away. They don't want to leave those snakes, and I try to, you know, tell them you know a little bit about the animal and why it's there and what it's doing. It's not hurting anything, and a lot of times they will let me leave them. But sometimes we have customers that just can't take it. They see that snake, and they just can't control themselves. <laughs> And again, you know, animals are going to go where there's a source of food. So if you have snakes in in and around your property, they're probably there because you've got these other critters as well. That's true. People don't realize snakes stay in a very small area. They do not run a long way. So if they're in that area, it's because there's food shelter, you know, and of course they're going to have a time where they're going to breed. But primarily food and shelters are make their one key. So if you're seeing a lot of snakes in the area, it's because there's a reason. <laughs> they're not just there because they like you. Okay. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Tom's called in from Spanish Fort this morning. Go ahead, Tom. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I uh, just wanted to uh, uh, share some experience I've had with about the beavers. Uh, interesting that you said. Uh, I have a little background. Uh, uh, my first degree was uh, in, in biology with an uh, emphasis in mammalogy, so I do know them a little bit. Uh, we've had in our neighborhood a very similar situation as to uh, that, that was described, where a neighbor... Uh, the waterway on our neighbor's land uh, was blocked by beavers and then created a lake which then started eating other people's land. Um, that situation there actually had to go to court, and it takes a long time. I'm not sure it's ever. I think you'd be better uh, to follow the advice of your critter catcher there and just try to get rid of them yourself. But uh, now, more interesting than informative, I'm sure, Back in the day, I was in the military uh, and, and in uh, Special Forces, and we got a assignment one time, a civil action assignment, seen some farmer, uh, the beavers were taking up all his pastures uh, by building a huge dam. and that, So we were sent to uh, destroy that dam. Uh, we um, It was about 100 yards long. And we set uh, shape charges every so often and backed off a half mile with all the highway patrol and everybody keeping everybody distance and set the thing off. I imagine I saw sticks and mud uh, 400 feet in the air. When we got back there, it looked like it had a haircut and there was a looked like a post hole every place we put one of those charges. But the dam was still standing and you couldn't tell not anything had done it, uh, been done to it in a week. 
Mm-hmm. All right. They're, they're good at what they do, I guess, is the lesson there. Absolutely. Hey, Tom, thanks uh, Thanks for your call. Uh, why do beavers build dams? What are they trying to accomplish? Just create habitat. You know, they want to, they uh, initially, as the water gets into new parts, new areas, they get access, easy access to more food, you know, and it also could be that they're they're trying to create a habitat for a home to build, you know, to have young. So that's that's their their opportunity. They don't want to live on a big, fast river or creek. They can't control the water, and it's it's too hard for them to swim in. They want to have a backwater eddy where they can actually have their own little Shangri-La. There's been some really interesting studies about beaver and beaver behavior. They have a compulsion. It's a, mm-hmm. a very OCD. To stop the sound of running right. water. Hmm. Is one of the one of the deals. They really are busy as a beaver is a real thing. They, they have uh, just a, a biological compulsion to, to work, work, work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Tom suggested, I guess uh, they they do their jobs well, and so trying to get rid of something when they've dammed up, maybe a creek or or something, uh, it sounds like it's not easy to do. No, we, sometimes you know we we can dig them out, we can open them back up. Sometimes it takes heavy equipment. You know, sometimes those of us that are licensed that you know can can blow them. Uh, it's it's a lot of work to get rid of a dam that's been there for a while. Absolutely. And again, if you don't get rid of the underlying problem of the beavers, that's what they want to do, and so they're going to come right back right and back. And, re- and start repair work. I that's guess. Right. All right. Um, real quick, maybe one of the more unusual calls that you've had. Uh, let's see. I don't know if I told that one last time I was here, but uh, did I tell you the one about the lion? Did we talk about no, the lion? I don't think no. so. <laughs> okay. I got a call one day, and I'll make this quick. Uh, we got a call one day. Um, uh, lady hysterical. There's a line in my yard. There's a line in my yard. And I was like, okay, all right, all right this is interesting. Uh, she calls and uh, yeah, I, I ask where she lives and she tells me where she lives. She's in the Jackson area. And the funny thing was it wasn't that far from the zoo. And I thought, no way. This, uh, this is <laughs> So I called my friend over at the zoo, my buddy over at the zoo uh, at the time. And I said, all right, y'all missing any animals? And he thought it was hilarious. He goes, you know better than that. So I said, okay. So um, <laughs> We, uh, I drive over there, and the lady comes flying out of the house, and she's in hysterics, literally in hysterics. And so I say, where's the animal at? In the backyard, in the backyard. So I'm thinking, okay, this is crazy, you know. So I, I walk around the edge of the house, and she doesn't have a fence around her yard. And I'm looking, and I'm looking, and she said it was in the back where there's some little bit of trees there, you know, a little shed. Um, and I'm looking, and all of a sudden I see this outline of an animal. And at first, in low light, it kind of looks like a lion. I'm thinking, whoa, this is this is unique. I'm ready for this, you know, because here I am armed with a catch pole, and I'm thinking this is not going to work, you know. Um, so I look out there, and I make a sound at the animal, and the animal starts coming to me, not running, but in kind of a fast walk coming straight to me. And as my eyes get on it and I see what it is, what it was was somebody took a beautiful chow and <laughs> shaved him all the way down and left a mane around his head and i if you hadn't seen a lion in person maybe you could think that was a lion but hey she was terrified i grabbed the the dog and put a leash around it and walked him out and i said this is your lion it was all good all right mike uh, thanks for being with us if someone wanted to get in touch with you what's a good way to do that uh, you can uh, email me at thecrittercatcher at hotmail.com. You can go to our website, thecrittercatcherllc.com, or you can call me at 601-966-5539. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and Mike McDowell, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.